This morning we are in Colossians chapter 3. the church at Colossae. Seems everywhere we turn, there's good information, not just for the church at Colossae, but for the church in Huntsville and for us as individual believers. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Will you stand with me as I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, grant us understanding as we read your word that your spirit would come and fill our hearts, that we would not just hear the words, but they would fill us, and that we would be able to live them out. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free men, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's inspired word for us today. Please be seated. When uh, we were in, in Wilmington, we had a sign, a church sign, right on the main drag. And I would try on a regular basis to come up with as just creative words as I could, creative titles as I could. And uh, I found out that uh, the GE um, plant down the road, there was always a big lunchroom discussion at the GE plant about the title of the sermon, because nobody could figure it out. And we had one of the guys at the church, worked in the plant, and he came back after a while and told me, he said, man, these, these guys are really asking questions about your sermon. I said, do they ever come? He said, no, but they really want to know what's on the sign and, and what it means. Can't, you know, translate it for us into what, what, you're, what went on on Sunday. Well, so I don't know how much you pay attention to sermon titles, The Risen Life, To have a risen life, that by necessity indicates what must happen previously. Christ rose, Christ was crucified. So to have a risen life, you've got to have a life that is dead. Or you've got to put to death something. Now when I started looking at this, I thought, oh man, risen life. 
this is great. Let's look at the life that we're called to live and all of this. But so often, Paul goes back to what you have to kill to get to the risen life. Because you can't live the risen life until you have begun to systematically kill off things in your life. Now, that does not mean the neighbor's dog that barks. Uh, <laughs> well, the neighbor's dog is leading me into sin. I've got anger in my heart, so if I kill him off, he'll... I'll get rid of that. No, that's not quite what it means. It means that there are things in our life that have to be put to death. There are things in our life that have to be crucified. They have to be destroyed. They can't linger on. They can't be kind of the hangers-on of our lives that have to be put to death. There are things in our life that we simply must erase from existence if we're going to live a life that is in Christ, a life that is risen. Now, it's always that, what the scripture calls mortification, or that's, that's the theological term for putting to death sin. It's that mortification that there's always a problem. I mean, we like, I mean, we like salvation, don't we? I mean, it's good. We like the promises that come from God. We like that grace and that peace and that joy. It's that other portion of it that that we have troubles with. And that is the mortification of the things in our life. The stuff that we have to get rid of. We don't get rid of it in order to be right before God. We get rid of it because Christ has come into our lives and given us something so much richer, so much more full than what we had before, than what these things that we are called to get rid of brought to our lives, because they were temporary. They were fleeting. But, you know, it's hard to get rid of old friends. It's hard to get rid of old friends. I remember when I became a Christian. My goodness, all my friends were involved in things they shouldn't have been. And I had to get rid of them for my own spiritual well-being. But it turned out to be very easy because we no longer had things in common. No longer did I want to go and involve myself in those things, although, frankly, there was a part of me that said, oh, they were fun. Sin was fun. I mean, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be drawn to it if it wasn't fun, if we didn't enjoy some portion of it, if some portion of that thought in our minds didn't linger, go, oh, boy, I remember those days, even 40 years, 35 years ago, I can think, oh, yeah. Those were good days. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. If they were the good days, then I would still be in them. I would still really long to go back there. I would be be pursuing them with all that I was instead of attempting to still kill off some of those things in my life. Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our light, is revealed, then you also will be revealed in glory. Paul tells us how we should act. We have died. Our life is hidden in Christ. Paul does not make the killing off of sin, the mortification of sin, optional. Okay? Now, there are people out there who want to talk about being saved uh, without making Christ their Lord. And, And we've mentioned this many times because it is a factor in a lot of people's lives. They want the salvation. They do not want the lordship. They do not want to be in subjection. They do not want to submit all that they are to the things of Christ. Therefore, they're having great trouble in their life. Paul says the Christian will be killing sin in his life. 
will be killing sin in his life. Each and every day we have to work on that. Paul gives a reason for that in verse 6. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. It is on account of the sin that used to bind us in the chains. It used to draw us unto itself. It still may linger in our life. It's because of that sin, not just in our lives, but in the world in general, that the wrath of God will come. So we've got to destroy that sin. We can't be ambivalent about it. We can't be apathetic about it. We have to kill it. We have to kill it. I can see it at lunch. Well, what did the minister talk about? Killing. Okay. It was great. It's killing. We're going to talk about suicide in a minute. Okay, We must kill it. We have to drive it out of our lives. You notice how close sin seems to be connected to our living out as Paul talks about it. It's almost as if it has grasped itself onto us. Almost as if it is a, a tumor or something within us that has begun to surround portions of us. That must be cut out. It must be killed off. He speaks of sin as part of our own bodies that must be killed. Richard Baxter, wonderful Puritan, long-winded as most Puritans were, wrote this short little thing, that we should treat sin like it would treat us. Treat sin like it would treat us. That it would kill us, so we should kill it. So how long would you let a murderer who is trying to kill you run free in your house? Think about that. If you've got somebody who's in your house, who's trying to kill you, how long are you going to put up with that? Why, well, I know some of us, we, we try to get him before he got into the house, right? If he's in the window, you get him in the window, bring him into the house when, he's, when you've got him, okay? But how long do we let him run in the house? How long do we let sin free in our lives before we decide that we have to kill it? Before we decide that we have to put it to death? Now, those are our deeds that Paul is talking about in the first portion. We see uh, verse 5, Therefore, consider members of your earthly body as dead. Consider your earthly body as dead to immorality. Those in in particular. Now, Colossae had a problem. It wasn't as as extensive as it was in Corinth, the, the sexual sin that they were involved in. But they were like any other Roman province or Roman or city or anything that had Hellenistic roots. Uh, they didn't have uh, the same morals that came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many of these people in Colossae were simply a year or two or three removed from a life that had no moral barriers on it. So Paul is speaking specifically about sexual immorality there, but it's easy enough to to cast a wider net upon any deeds that we do. Then you go, it goes to impurity. He says, kill impurity. Impurity refers to our thoughts, our intentions. He says, he's saying, don't just kill the sin that, that is the action. You must kill the thought that leads to that sin. If you're desires have not changed, then your thoughts are going to revert to the way that they were before you became a Christian. And if your thoughts revert to that way, then sooner or later your behaviors will revert to that way as well. When we were little, the phrase was garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you put in, sooner or later you're going to get out. Uh, You are what you eat, uh, that type of thing. Well, if your thoughts are full of certain things, then sooner or later those will come out in deeds. And Paul says, I want you to kill the deeds. Now, we're going to go to the root. I want you to kill those thoughts. 
I want you to put them to death. Get rid of those thoughts. Curb your desire for sin, then you can curb your behavior. Man, what are you talking about? What we take in. What we allow our minds to dwell on. What we think about in our spare time. Do we obsess about um, over things that make us angry? Do we obsess over things that may not be true? Do we fill our minds with those types of thoughts? No, we better not. Because if you do, then sooner or later, those things will come out of your mouth. Or they'll come out of your actions. Okay, They'll come out of your, in your actions. Paul says, I want you to kill sin. When you purposely attempt to kill the sin in you, you will see the difference. In the early part of the 1900s, in the country of Wales, there was a revival, affectionately known as the Welsh Revival. And you have to understand, uh, being Welsh and, and what I know about it, you had coal miners or sheep herders. And, and they're a hard group. Uh, growing up in western Pennsylvania, I knew a lot of coal miners. And they, they're just hard men. Hard men go down those mines. And they dig coal, and especially the early part of the 1900s. Um, but then the Lord was gracious enough to open the doors and send the Holy Spirit to come down in Wales. And entire communities of these rock-hard coal miners were converted. And their lives were completely changed, and then their culture began to change. G. Campbell Morgan, a pastor who was in that area, writes of an eyewitness. He says, the horses are terribly puzzled. A manager said to me, the haulers are some of the very lowest in society. They have driven their horses by obscenity and kicks. Now they can hardly persuade the horses to start working because there are no more obscenities and no more kicks. Christ had come into their lives and they were treating the horses different. And the horses didn't know what to do. Yeah, well, you haven't kicked me yet. I don't know. Should I go? Okay, I don't respond to kind words. I'm so used to the, the swearing. And, and, and there was such a difference in that society. Because everything had changed. Basically, Paul has invited, commanded us as believers to commit suicide in regard to some of the things in our lives. You've got to cut them out. You've got to kill them. The dictionary defines suicide as the act of killing oneself intentionally. And the passage here is inviting every Christian to do exactly that. Kill off some of you. Not all of you, but some of you. Because there's a portion of each of us that clings so tightly to those things of the old life, those things of the old ways. See, when you came to Christ, received him as your Lord and Savior, confessed your sin, were born again, God, as a, as a sovereign act of his power, gave you a new life. Now, in that process of sanctification, part of our job in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit is to kill off some of that old life. Because the new life... Is so much better than the old life was. The new life is freeing. Before we became a Christian, we could not get rid of sin in our lives. We could not battle against it because it was our master. Now our master is Christ. And we are called to something completely new. We are called to die to self. Die to our own ambition. Die to our own ego. Not to put Randy first. That's a big problem in Randy's life. Insert your name in there as well. Because I bet it's a problem for you. And it might be, for some people, it's a big problem. And other people, it's just a little problem. But yet, there is still that vestige 
of egocentricity within each of us, when it needs to be Christocentric in our lives. We need to think of Christ first and foremost. All of our life needs to be filled with him, circle around him. He needs to work in and through us. Christ is all, and he is my Lord, and I submit to him. That's what we are called to do in the new life. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Daily we need to die to self. Paul says, I die daily. I'm in the business of committing spiritual suicide on a regular basis each and every day. Kill, therefore, the members of your body. Verse 5. So the Christian has to deal with self-centeredness, private desires, private ambition, personal ambition. To kill these things off, I realize that sooner or later, when we become a Christian, you you know, you might be... uh, Perhaps you haven't been a believer that long, and, and you're not sure what it is that, you're, that I'm talking about. I'm not sure what it is that you should be doing. How should I be killing off these things in my life? Is Christianity re- reduced to a bunch of do's and don'ts? No, that's certainly not Christianity. But remember, we pattern our life in order to please the Lord who has given his life for us. In obedience to his will, we want to get rid of these things. Now, you've already died. You died at the moment of salvation. You were crucified with Christ. So that when you died, you were saved. You died of the world, the former life, and now you have an eternal life. Eternal life, the word eternal in this sense is not quantity. It is quality. Eternal life is a quality of life that comes only through the work of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is eternal in the sense of we have this life now for eternity, and we can't get our minds around eternity, but it is also a quality of life. You've died in Christ. You've been risen with Christ. You're not living the plain old life that you used to live. Now you're living an eternal life, which the quality of comes only from God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, For our citizenship, our manner of living is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. What are we doing here? Well, we're here until the Lord decides that we need to be in heaven. Well, I'd like to be here for a little bit longer. Uh, Well, that's the Lord's business. Okay, And while we are here, we need to be ready to live each and every moment for the furthering of his plan. And we need to be ready as well to meet him. Whether Christ comes or he calls us home, we need to be ready for these things. So if our real home is in heaven, Paul says, then you need to think on the heavenly things. So what should you think about? What you fill your mind with? Heavenly things. Let me think. What do we know about heaven? You can go to Revelation right in the back, last couple chapters, and there's a whole list of what heaven looks like. Streets of gold, pure gold, gates made of one pearl of each gate. And all these precious stones and, and levels and colors. And, and how long can you think upon a, one single gate in heaven that is made of one pearl? Well, that's not what they're talking about. It's not what Paul wants us to think about. Paul wants us to fix our minds on the heavenlies in the sense of who is in the heavenlies? Jesus Christ. He is the one that we are to fix our thoughts upon. He says in Galatians chapter 6, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what the world meant to Paul before Christ died on that day on the road to Damascus. It was dead. Gone. Now, did he struggle with it? Yeah. We see in Romans chapter 7. Why do I do the things I know I shouldn't do and I don't do the things I know I should do? 
How do I struggle? Well, it's part of the Christian life. It's part of the work that we have to do to kill off those things in our life. So you can go to lunch. You say, my pastor gave me the permission to kill something today. Okay. <laughs> and, and the Methodists will say, well, my pastor didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Don't look at me. No, no, you kill it off within yourself. You kill off a portion of yourself. Go and kill some things this week. First, you have to decide what needs killing in your life. What sins need mortified in your life? What needs to be put to death? The things in your life, probably, there's probably some overlap into the things in my life. Struggle with the things in my own life. What do I get rid of? How can I get rid of? You know, I thought I, 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 thought I had killed this off, but there was a little life left in it. I find that on a regular basis. You'd think after all these years of being a believer, I'd put to death those things. But yet they linger. Now the Lord has a purpose for that. That I might grow and rely upon him more and more. To trust him more and more. And he says, Randy, what portion will you kill off today? What old friend called sin will you get rid of today? And look how I will fill your life because of that. Look at the grace that will rush in. As if you opened a a, a lock that was empty and the water of the river came rushing in. Get rid of those things in your life and my grace will be sufficient for you. It will come rushing into your life. And it will sustain us. It will provide for us all that we need. But we've got to do the killing. Let's pray. Lord, you rain this grace upon the likes of us, we who are so unworthy. But yet you do it. Yet you bring this peace. You bring this salvation into our life. You give us the gift of faith. Our lives are changed. And now you call us to, one, kill off those old things. And secondly, to fix our mind on the things above, the things of Christ. Fix our thoughts on the one who is in heaven. Lord, there might be individuals here today who are just struggling terribly with some sin in their life, some vestige of sin that they just can't get rid of, something that they're holding on to. Lord, you tell us it needs to be killed off. We can't do it in our own power. We must rely upon you and the Holy Spirit to come. First, to give us confidence that we don't need these things. To give us peace that once we get rid of those things in our lives, that you will come rushing in with your grace and your love. Lord, the struggle in our lives may go on for years. Or it may be over today. When we can kill something off and put it aside and never look back. Lord, come upon those lives here. Perhaps you have raised some things to our minds right now in our lives. We put them before you, Lord. We want them to be dead to us. For we want to be alive in Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Work in us. That we might know the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ.
that he is sufficient in all things. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Our hymn is 477, More About Jesus Would I Know. Let's stand as we sing 477.